So, uh, we are in the middle of this series called Family Matters. And what Jake and I have been doing each and every week is we have been kind of highlighting each and every week certain aspects or characteristics of what a healthy church may look like. Something that we can strive to be like, something that we can attain to, uh, to achieve. And we've hit all certain things, and this week I'm really excited to talk about the issue about youth and children. And what this church family, what this family of God can do to nurture the faith of youth and children. You know, we've all heard the statistics about the rising of the nuns. And I don't mean nuns spelled N-U-N-S, but the N-O-N-E's. Those senses that they take each and every year and they ask the people, what is your religious affiliation? Well, each and every time this census is taken... The number of people who put down none for religious affiliation continues to grow and grow and grow. In fact, right now, according to the last census, one out of every four Americans identify themselves as a nun, having no religious affiliation. In fact, if you are a young person today, if you are a young person today, you are four times more likely to be a nun, someone who doesn't have a church family, than adults in the previous generation. And the numbers of those who ascribe themselves to the nun continues to grow and grow, and it's significantly increased over the last decade. But here's the deal. The, the numbers, to me, get really, really interesting. When you look at the people who have actually stayed in the church, People who are a part of the religious organization to ask what caused them to stay, why are they still here, and what about their life affected them to still be a part of a religious group and body. And there's something that's very, very interesting that there is science and statistics that point to the fact that the age, the age in which you first had the experience, the spiritual experience, the age that you first began to believe or be converted has a huge impact on whether or not you are still within the religious body. And just before I reveal the numbers that I found at the research, I would love to take a quick poll uh, right here among the church. So if you don't feel comfortable, please don't raise your hand. But just out of curiosity, in this, in this room full of people, maybe 250 or people or so, how many of you were converted after the age of 18. So we have, we can raise your hands a little higher so we can see. If you were converted after the age of 18, raise your hand. You can see here, it's, it's, it's a few hands here and there, nothing that's overwhelming. How many of you were converted before the age of 18? Before the, whoa. <laughs> Before the age, just look around here, before the age of 18, how many of you were converted, had the experience? And one more question, how many of you were converted or had this experience before the age of 14? You can see here just an overwhelming amount of hands where the religious experience took place before the age of 14. You see, research 
the Barna Group, the, the Institute of, of, of Biblical Studies, they have done research and study after study that point to the fact that those who had the experience, who were converted, who began to learn about the faith at a younger age, are more likely to be committed to the faith as adults. In fact, there is a, a, a phrase, a terminology that talks about the 4 to 14 window. Specifically, the Barna Research Group has demonstrated that within that specific age range, age 4 years old to 14, there is a significant correlation between that having experience or conversion or time studying the word at that time and age and their likelihood to be uh, involved in religious body after there's a significant correlation between that age window and adults who still participate in religious services. In fact, those who they, this, there's two groups, the National Association of Evangelicals and the International Bible Study. They surveyed current church members and they asked him, when did you have that religious experience? When did you have the conversion? Well, according to the National Association of Evangelicals, 63% of current church members were converted between that 4 years old to 14-year-old window. The International Bible Society, their number is a little bit larger. They say that 85%, 85% of those that they surveyed who are still active in church, who are, are committed to their faith, are committed to, to walking alongside brothers and sisters, that 85% of them had their religious conversion or experience or they began to come to know Christ at the, uh, the ages of 4 to 14. You see, this is the sweet spot. This is the sweet spot of, of religious growth. It's when the ground is fertile. It's when there's curiosity. It's when there's openness. It's when there's the, the ability to, to look into something new and be impacted by it. And it's interesting that if you look at the numbers, that the numbers begin to sharply decline as they grow older. There's one study that said Americans who embraced Christ for the first time during high school or college years, which is between age 13 to 21, that according to this study, compared to those who had an earlier conversion experience, were, number one, less likely than other believers to describe themselves as deeply spiritual. They donated substantially less money to churches than the other Christians, and they were less likely to engage in lifestyle evangelism. These are those that were converted within the high school, college age. Uh, and then, this is a crazy stat that's a little bit scaring, scary to think about. That the Barna study came up with the fact that after you are 18 years old, after you are 18 years old, there's only a 6% of a chance that you will be converted. So 6% of people, 6% of Christians within the body are converted after the age of 18. Isn't that crazy to think about? And how much money and how much resources and how much time do we put on mission works and efforts that focus on people who are older than 18 when really the sweet spot is right under our noses? Our children, our youth, who have been coming and who are sitting in these pews and singing songs and giving announcements in the ages of 4 to 14. This is the sweet spot. And it's, it's even scarier when you look at the percentages of those kids who grew up in the church and whether or not they stay 
or they go. According to one study that I read, 59% of young adults raised in the church have now since left. So we're talking about six, almost six out of ten children who have been here amongst our midst, who we have been given the privilege to walk alongside and nurture their faith. For some reason, for somehow six out of ten leave. So there's only four, and we all know people like this. We have, we have brothers, and we have sisters, we have children, we have grandchildren who grew up going to church, but since then have found it not interesting, not applicable, and not at all relevant to their everyday lives. You know, this is something that is terribly off. Because here amongst our men, we have the sweet spot. We know with the research that this age in children is a time where they can be molded and shaped. And yet there's something that's not happening. Because 6 out of 10 are, are leaving. You know, the Bible is very clear that, that children are very important. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like in, in the Bible it speaks of them as outcasts or as those that shouldn't be attended to. I mean, the Bible is very, very clear that children and youth have a special place within the church body. I mean, if you look at a list of scriptures that we have, children are welcome in God's kingdom. Matthew 18 and Mark 9 and Luke 18, when Jesus is sitting there and says, let the children come to me. In Psalms 127.3, it says that children are a gift from God, a gift, something that is meant to bring joy. In, in 1 Samuel 3, we hear the story of, of, of Eli and, and Samuel and children are used by God to accomplish his will in, in 1 Samuel 3. And children reflect how we are to enter the kingdom of God. In Luke 18, it describes that we shall enter the kingdom of God like a child. And children can hear and learn from God's word. In Deuteronomy 31 and Psalm 78, in 22, Proverbs 22, the Bible is very clear that the children, the youth, they are a welcomed, embraced part of who we are as a family. And we have been given the invitation to nurture them and train them and teach them in the ways. Now, before I go any further, I do want to make a very clear distinction. This is very, very important that we cover this. Is that nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does it say that it is the church's primary responsibility to nurture and raise children in the faith. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that it is the church's job to make sure that your kids, that our kids and our grandkids learn about Jesus. Time and time again in Scripture, it speaks of the parents' role in that job. It's the parents' primary responsibility to, tear, to carry out that task. It is not the church's role. It, we are not meant to be the primary source for spiritual education Scripture is very, very clear in Deuteronomy 6, in Proverbs 1, in Ephesians 6, in Titus 1, in Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 2. That this is the job of the parents. Ultimately, it is on the parents' shoulders. We, as parents, cannot subcontract out the spiritual education of our children. We cannot. Just like we, subtra- we uh, subcontract someone to teach Spanish or to mow our lawn or to teach them tennis lessons. We cannot subcontract 
the role of spiritual instruction from our kids. That is the job of the parents. So that will be another sermon another day. But I wanted to be very clear that we as a church are not meant to be the primary role. But we as a church can serve as a resource. We can serve as an encouragement. We can serve as a supporting actor. We can give opportunities. And we can walk alongside parents as we work on this sweet spot of this mission field that we have under our very noses. There is an example in Deuteronomy chapter 6 of the religious body within the very fabric, including children. And that's in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you do have your Bibles today, I'd love for you to turn there. And we can go through Deuteronomy chapter 6, read these verses. And I do want to make the case that through the text here that we learn about a church family, a, a body of believers... Who not only, number one, invite children to participate alongside them in the spiritual practices. But number two, they emphasize the question marks and not the periods. And number three, that we can see in this text that there is evidence of religious bodies encouraging and nurturing and edifying the spiritual walk of children. But let's start up in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's start in verses 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So just a pause right here. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses has just written the Ten Commandments. So this is the very beginning that the, the Israel people, the Hebrew people, have just been freed from slavery in Egypt. And they are in the wilderness right now. And Moses has been given the task of writing down the rules and regulations. How is this new people going to function? How are we going to give honor to God and glory to him for saving us from slavery? Who is our Lord? What is our identity? He just gave the Ten Commandments. And then he says here, starting that these are the commandments. So that you, your children... And their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his degrees and commands that I give you. And that so and so that you may enjoy a long life. If we skip down to verses four through nine. Hear, O Israel. And this is the Shema, the very core of the, the, the Hebrew faith where they would recite And they would live and they would breathe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, the first way to live out the Shema, to express this, to, to live it out, to embody what this is talking about. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here we see at the very beginning of the people of Israel that within the very fabric of who they are as people, they incorporated an educational and intentional time of teaching their children about the ways of God, to teach them the story, the narrative about God. 
And the call for us at Skillman is this, as a faith community, may we also, within our very fabric, may we include children in our religious and our spiritual lives. May we learn from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we can do this alongside children and teach them as we live out the ways of God. You know, oftentimes you hear about this analogy of the relay race, where we are on this relay race and that as adults, as as older people in society, we have the baton and our job is to get this baton and run that race strong so that we can reach back and when our time is done, that we can give the baton to to the younger generation so that they can take that baton and run. You know, I love this analogy. The only problem with it It's it's completely wrong. It is totally wrong. Because this isn't a relay race that we're running. Because a relay race signifies that there is someone not running. That that there is a part of the team that's sitting there just waiting for their turn to get the baton. And then they're not going to run. They're not going to exert any energy until they get that baton. This is not a relay race. And I was trying to think of what analogy it could be. You know, we're all walking together. You know, it's like we're walking this, this race of life or, or a big ultra marathon. And occasionally someone will, just, will die. You know, and you know, they, you know, they don't, they don't run anymore. But we're all together. We are running this race. The kids are our future. But at the same time, the kids are our present. We, we are walking alongside these children. And if we can find ways within our religious life to include them, to incorporate them within our religious rituals, our our religious, the things that we do as a church body, we can see tremendous, tremendous growth based on what we see in in, uh, in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 6 because they were not ostracized. They were not separated. They were included. And somewhere along the line within Christendom, we had the idea that we need to be separated. When we come to church, we ship the kids off to their, their time, and we have the adult time. Somehow, somebody had the idea that we, were, we needed to be separated. But I'm here to give a, a way to think about this. What if we had more integrational time? What if we had the kids in here more? What if they saw us take communion instead of left before that? What if the kids were incorporated and got to see what we do in corporate worship? There is study after study after study also that articulates that the more kids are included within the church body, the higher likely they have to sustain and be a part of the church. You know, here's the problem. It might get a little bit noisy. Every once in a while, you might hear a baby cry. Every once in a while, you, you might have a kid in front of you that's, that's talking or, or misbehaving. You know what I think about that? Awesome. Did you know when you hear a baby cry, you know what that means? It means this church is alive. And it means it has a future. So let the babies come and let them cry. Let the babies cry. Anyway, that's my personal opinion. I just think that we need to have greater incorporation and allow the kids. Why? Why is that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 continues to go on. If you look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 18, it says this. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you 
and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? There is the key, my friends. When that child has experienced something, when that child has seen something that generates curiosity, that generates uh, a, a, a question, that generates an interest, that is a sweet spot as well. Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the story continues. But the point is this. We at Skillman, as a faith community, may we emphasize the question mark and minimize the period. May we emphasize the question mark and not the period. You know, in all the surveys that talk about why people are leaving the church, you know what they say? What do you think they say? It's because this place is boring. They're boring. The sermon's too long. The worship doesn't capture them. You know what else? Why they leave? Because they think the conversation is not relevant. I mean, we talk about things that really don't matter as much. And we're talking about the same things over and over again. And so people are leaving because they're bored. Because they're uninterested. Because they don't feel like the conversation that we have in here has any, any uh, relevance at all outside of these buildings. You know... I just, I cannot understand that the, that how did we get to this point? This is God we're talking about. You know, Francis Chan has an amazing point, quote in his book, Crazy Love. He says, we're talking about God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor. Loves us with a radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, sing songs, and try not to cuss. Whether you verbalized it yet or not, we all know that something is wrong. For so long, we as the church, as the religious institution of society, we've served as the period. We've served as the conversation stopper. When someone has a question... When someone has an issue or they're confused about a life, a life issue, they come to the church and the church has said, well, I'll tell you, this is what God says. Conversation done. It's over. But may we, instead of being the period, be the question mark. What if our job is not to end the conversation, but to start the conversation, to ask these questions and to pursue the, the amazing wonders of the world so that there's a constant curiosity, there's a constant search, there's a constant... Uh, like a looking for what is going on in this magical, amazing world. And we have sold our children short because we have put a period at the end of the sentence instead of a question mark. And we have stopped the conversation instead of letting it go. May we be question marks and allow these kids and allow this youth, if they have a question or concern, to feed that, to feed it, to feed it, and allow them to go on this journey of exploration. Lastly, as a faith community, may we encourage children. May we encourage them. Encourage them in their faith journey. I think Skillman is so good at this, 
of encouragement. But may we, with these youth, the 4 through 14-year-olds, the high school, the college, may we encourage them. You know, my dad tells a story. My dad is a, a minister now. He's been a minister for so many years. He's ancient, you know. Uh, <laughs> he might listen to this later. <laughs> but um, he's, he's been a minister for many years. But I, you ask him, like, when did it start? When did you decide that you wanted to be uh, a minister and, and really give your life to this, 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 this job? Well, it all happened when he was within that window of 4 to 14. And he got up to give a prayer. And he was a really young kid, I think maybe second or third grade. And he gets up to say the prayer, and he says his prayer, and it just went terrible. Like, I think instead of, you know, may I, may we, may I pray with you? I think he said, may, may I play with you? Uh, I mean, his, his words didn't, didn't go well, and he fumbled and bumbled, and he finished the prayer, and he wanted to disappear. He wanted to leave. He was so embarrassed. Uh, his blood was just... Just pumping, and, and he, he wanted to, if there was an escape room, he would have run out. And so he walked down the stairs, and he was about to run out of the building. But as he tells the story, there was an old elder, an, an older gentleman, who was there sitting in the front row. And as he saw him walking, he grabbed my dad's arm, he brought up the clothes, and he looked him in the eye, and he said, That was fantastic. That was an amazing prayer. And he looked at him and he says, Never, never stop. Who knows what would have happened if my dad was allowed to run away and never come back. But the fact that that older gentleman saw something in him and knew that that prayer was terrible, but stopped him anyway and looked him in the eye and said, that was amazing. We have that same opportunity today with those announcements that we saw, with kids who, who come and, and with Destiny who's singing this amazing songs today. We have the ability to encourage these youth. And so often as older people, don't we just find ourselves bashing young people? You know, uh, like millennials. I'm, I'm like on the edge so I can bash them because I'm kind of in, in you know, I, I'm, I could fall either way. But sometimes if you hear conversations, we end up bashing the youth. But is that how we want to use our time and our energy? Is that how we want to encourage them I mean life is hard life is a hard thing especially for a kid do you, you, you analyze what it's like to be a kid nowadays I mean technology internet constantly you have social media you can't escape I mean the research says that because of the constant use of, of media the actual brains of children are changing I mean it's a whole new world the times are changing. I mean, the other day, the other day, I was walking in, in the church with my son Case, and I had my hands full. And there's like a, a code where you can put to get in, and so I couldn't click the code. And so I asked Case, say, hey, will you click this, this, this? And the end was a pound sign. So I said, this number, this number, this number, this number, pound. And he looked at me real confused, like I had just shot a puppy. And he said, Dad. That's not a pound. That's a hashtag. <laughs> you know the hashtag on, you know. To, to him, now, a pound doesn't exist anymore because now it's just a hashtag. <laughs> but this is a difficult time to be 
a child, difficult time to be a youth. We as a church body need, need to be the first to grab them by the arm, look them in the eye and tell them, you are okay. I love you. I mean, gun violence nowadays, it's scary to be a kid. Uh, I heard a statistic that said that within this year, 2018, more children in public schools have been killed than soldiers in combat zones. Can you believe that? More children have died within our own country, in our public schools. They have been killed than soldiers who are serving in combat zones overseas. These are people that we are talking about here who every day they have the risk of being killed when they go to school. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it it could happen. May we be a church that encourages them, a faith community that loves them, a faith community that doesn't bash them, but lifts them up and sees the potential. When we see children in this building, may we smile. May we give them a hug. May we look them in the eyes and realize that they, they are our biggest mission field. They are our biggest mission field. They're the greatest hope that this story continues. Let us walk alongside them. Invite them to join with us. Let us emphasize their curiosity and search for the meaning of life and let us encourage them on their journey. Each week we give an invitation to pray. If you need prayers, we invite you to come. But if you don't today, I encourage you to pray for this next generation. Pray for the youth. Pray for that window, the 4 to 14s, the high schools, the, the colleges. Pray that the Lord can work in their life. The future, in my opinion, is bright. And I think the Lord has a lot to do with this next generation. And we have the, wit- the ability to witness what is happening. If you need prayers, why don't you come while we stand inside?